Sixers are 8-2 and two and have won six straight games, despite the fact that they've been playing these last few games without Tobias Harris, without Danny Green, and all season without Ben Simmons. Rich and I dive into how exactly they are doing that. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network, covering your eight and two, never going to lose again, Furkan's never going to miss again, Philadelphia 76ers. How you doing, Rich? A little tired, as we as we talked about before, from covering these uh, these barnstormers around the country. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, look, you know, it's, it's early in the season. We're only an eighth of the way through, but to say that that wasn't a feel good road trip, that was the definition of a feel good road trip uh, with eight guys, with different guys in and out of the lineup, with COVID protocols getting in the way. They just keep winning. Six game winning streak of those six games. Tobias Harris has missed four of them. Joel Embiid missed one, mostly just for rest. Um, what Matisse Thibel missed the latest. Danny Green missed three of those six. Um, Isaiah Joe missed one. Um, not quite at the same scale, but still you're losing some of your depth. They are winning these games with players who you didn't factor to be stars, but Seth Curry is playing a starring role. Furkan Korkmaz has played a starring role last night. Um, they are winning these games with depth. Uh, without their three best perimeter defenders. Oh, oh, by the way, Ben Simmons also missed all six of those games, obviously. Uh, but winning these games against pretty good teams here, uh, especially the two against Chicago, without their three best perimeter defenders, they are playing very, very... And look, I know people can get annoyed, certainly with me, that I'm a little bit of a wet blanket. And I look at everything through a, first of all, team-building lens, and also I worry about everything. That's sort of just the way I am in life in general. But also when I look at it, like, what are they missing from winning a championship? That can be frustrating. I have nothing negative to say on this podcast. I have nothing negative to say. They're perfect. They're playing exceptional (laughs) basketball. It's just, uh, we and me specifically, I get caught up in what about the championship a lot. But right now, it's just, there's just so fun to watch that even I'm like, you just kind of got to live in the moment on this one. You got to live in the moment. So... Doc said something pretty similar to what you, uh, the sentiment you just echoed um, there, where he basically was like, after his 1,000th win and after he got the water bucket shower from Embiid and Maxi, and you know what? Here's here's another one I won't say a lot. The vibes right now, the vibes are good, man. Yeah. I, I don't usually say that, but that is unequivocally true right now. Um, so after after he does his press conference while he's uh, he's drenched and he basically says, he's like, look, you know, championships, that's why you do it. Like, that's great. Obviously, nothing can compare to those. But he's like, you know, throughout a regular season, there's 82 games, and these are the type of games why you do it. Like, when we just have to piecemeal a roster, a rotation together, when they have B-Ball Paul starting and defending DeMar DeRozan, who lit them up the night before, when they have Shake Milton guarding Sack Levine the entire night, and doing a pretty damn good job at it, I have to say. Good job, yeah. Uh, and you have Joel Embiid just taking 
this leadership role and kind of in, even though he's not individually playing so well to start the season, having his best game offensively of the season so far and just embracing this playmaking leadership role. It was, it was awesome. And uh, it's to uh, also back up your point on that. If you look at the old, uh, the old four factors on cleaning the glass, Sixers got out, out rebounded, uh, yeah, turnover, battle. more turnovers, yep. more free throws. Who gives a shit? You won with eight guys on the road in Chicago against a team that's pretty good. Like they have, that team is, they're six and one. If you don't count this, the games against the Sixers pretty good. And in front of a, I, you know, I had never been to the United center during our years of traveling. We, uh, you know, I'm sure some of our listeners know that we don't have to go to every game. Sometimes you take road trips. Sometimes I take them. I've been uh, to so Chicago I, a lot, but always for the combine. I don't think I've ever gone to the United center because they they suck or they, they have up until now. They have sucked, and you know that's a. It's one of the biggest building. It might be the biggest building in the the league. Wells Fargo might be the other one. Uh, it was rocking, like it was great atmosphere, you know. And when when they were giving up all those free throws and those transition buckets, and when Derek Jones had a great dunk, like that was a pretty hard atmosphere to play in. I mean, hard, whatever. It's a regular season game, whatever. But you know, a very excited crowd, and you have guys like Cork. All right, we're gonna run a pick and roll for Cork, and he's gonna silence these twenty thousand people, and he did. It was a uh, it's just a very, very feel-good performance right now. I, I mean, that is, and to, to just recap that, that is a remarkable week for the Sixers. To win four games, I mean, obviously they won six in a row, but to win four games in a row without Tobias, to win the game against Portland without Embiid. I, I mean, I, I know Detroit is not a very great team, but they played Brooklyn more competitively the next night than they, they played the Sixers. I don't know what to say. Like, I'm a little bit stunned that they are this good. I, I thought Ben Simmons was a bigger part of the regular season equation. It, it's it's amazing right now. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it stops this week. I don't I don't know. But I'm not betting against it, like, after what we saw. And again, right now, they're the number one three-point shooting team in the league, percentage-wise. Still only, like, 20th in attempts, but number one in percentage. I think they're, like, three or four in mid-range percentage. They're making shots, and I expect them to be a good three-point percentage team. I expect them to be a good long mid-range shooting team. But right now, everything they throw up is going in. <laughs> um, everything Ma- Seth, everything Seth yeah. throws up is going. Seth in. is has been incredible this year. Furkan incredible the other night. Furkan, I mean, look, Furkan is he? He's one of the stories of the season so far. Um, a guy who yep. has just gotten progressively better each and every year. And you look back at some of the shots he made. Against the Bulls, he went seven for nine from three. Very, none of them were really easy threes. Even the catch and shoot threes were very quick that he had to get that off. Um, the one specifically, uh, the first one he made, yeah, like he, he, there was like two seconds left on a shot clock. He had no option to pump fake and drive. Uh, he had Levine closing out hard on him. He got it up with no hesitation, no dip in his shot. That's something that we saw him work. You know, it really does say something. We saw him working on that. In Chicago, not Chicago, in Boston during his rookie season in the playoff series, he was working on that extremely hard with the coaching staff and they were revamping the shot. So he had that no dip shot in there so he could use it in times like that for him to be working on that one. That was his one skill that you could bank on. Um, And I think it's just been a progression to everything about his game, including his catch and shoot shot has gotten better. He's 100% more comfortable uh, getting into the paint, coming off the pick and roll. He's a lot more comfortable handling the basketball, making decisions with it. 
using his sort of slow motion drives to get to where he gets to where he <laughs> wants to go off the drive. He's been extremely, extremely good. And I feel like every year we sort of doubt him and he has not blown the doors off of expectations. Although this year I'd argue he's pretty close, but every year he has improved upon his previous season. And do I know that he's a playoff capable player? No, I still have that lingering in the back of my head. But he's been uh, he's been dynamic so far. It, I mean, that was a really really impressive for him to change between those roles of backup point guard. All right, well now you got Milton and Maxi back. Now you're running a little more second side stuff, a little more of a scoring threat, and to go between those two roles, he's been really really good. You nailed it too. The you know as much as it was dicey in those first four or five games without uh without Shake. It also probably served him well. It's like you said, you know, once you look, I, I just was thinking back to the Lugens Dort. He couldn't get the ball 40 feet to the hoop just because he's not a point guard and Lugens Dort was in his grill. And those were some tough situations. And the maxi get him the hell in, in here substitutions were pretty tough for him. Okay, but now Shake is back. Shake is playing well. You are the secondary ball handler, but that doesn't mean the Sixers aren't going to run a shit ton of plays for you. And you can see the fact that Ferk did not embarrass himself in that really tough role that the Sixers put him in. I think that served him really well. Like, I think that that'll help him moving forward. Now, is that the reason he shot seven of nine from three? No, he was just on a heater last night. Right. And that's cool. And it was especially cool considering he didn't play the uh, yep. the game before. And, and he was, what, questionable coming in? Yeah, and he said his, uh, also in the post game, you, you, you didn't see this. I didn't post this on the video, but uh, he said uh, his wrist was not 100 percentage after the game. <laughs> so you're right, though. His first touch with that, and by the way, the thing that was hurt was his right wrist. So that I think that affects your shooting a little bit when you're a right-handed player. His first touch was that shot with no dip that you were talking about. He just had to let it go, and he was just off to the races. Doc had a pretty funny quote after the game. You know, because I asked him, like, hey, uh, you know, have, have you seen Ferk play with this level of confidence before? And I know that seems like a generic question, but that is that is the game you ask that question after. And he's like, you know, he's like, the good thing is when you draw a play up for Ferk, he's going to shoot it. <laughs> and, and he was like, I know that sounds like it's a bad thing, but no, like if we're drawing up a, a play for him, we want him to shoot it. And there are other guys that won't get that done. So... I mean, he's just playing really well. I uh, There was one other stat I was thinking of. Uh, so do you know what he's shooting at the rim right now? Pretty good. 88% at the rim, which, you know, whatever. But And he's also, you know, he's bumped up his frequency, too, with that, too. He's not he's not for a forward. Uh, I think it's 25% of his shots. So, look, he's not uh, Zion by any means uh, getting to the rim. But I, I, I do think, like, you saw it a couple times last night. If he has that crossover and gets you, gets the defender on his hip, like he's finishing that more times than not now. He did it to Lonzo a couple of times last night. It's uh his his overall game has gotten better. His assist percentage is way up. Part of that is probably because he was uh he was forced into backup point guard duty role. He's uh he's a great story and it was uh I don't know, it was cool. Like after the game, like I, I also asked him beat that, like like, what's it been like? You, you're the one guy here who has seen him his entire career. Like, what it's been like to see him get better. And he's like, yeah, he's just gotten so much better as a an overall player. He was like a standstill shooter when he got here. And now 
you know, he does all this stuff off the bounce. He he can shoot it. He can pass a little bit. And he plays better defense, too, which, I, you know what, I got to be honest, I'm not watching like that close enough to know if Ferk is playing better defense. But I know that right now he's playing tougher matchups than he usually yeah. is. So, yep. Great, great story. I know that's a long-winded way to say, but like Ferk, the, the vibes are good. And talk about a guy who they didn't pick up his third-year rookie option. He requested a trade out. They did, weren't even going to bring him back in the offseason. They were going to sign Kyle Korver, and he was sort of like a backup plan. Yeah. Uh, he he was going to be gone. If Forgot Kyle Korver that. took their money, he would not be here right now. Uh, and for everything to... And quite frankly, like I don't think I had a big problem with them not picking up his third-year option uh, because they were trying to kill cap space, and he wasn't an NBA player at that point in his career. So I'm not even really killing them for not knowing what they had in him. I'm giving him a lot of credit for developing beyond what the Sixers expected him to develop into and what, quite frankly, I expected him to develop into. He is, um, I mean, look, like you said, he was on a heater last night. He's not going to shoot <laughs> seven for nine every time. That's clear as day. But he just looks so much more comfortable on the basketball court uh, on every facet that I think this is a lot more sustainable than it's 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 really ever been. And And he helps, too, when he's playing good. You know, this is kind of the intangibles. Um, he basically we, won we, them two games. Yeah, that, that we we also can't talk about. And it was, by the way, it was kind of a similar reaction when he won that first game on opening night in uh, in New Orleans, where he's such a popular guy. He's such a goofball that, like, the entire <laughs> team really likes him. So when he's playing well, like, that, I, I think that fires up the team in a way that sometimes another guy being on a hater does not. And, uh, like, it, it looks like, you know, like we saw it a couple of years ago, right? He, by the way, he, the Bulls, that sucks for them because he owns them. You remember he had a, he had a 30 pointer against them a couple of years ago when he had those back to back thirties. One of those was against the Bulls. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he had another game against the Bulls that year where he, remember he, he crossed up, I believe it was Cristiano Felicio and dunked on his head too. I don't think that was a 30 point game, but it was like a 16 point game. Um, so he absolutely owns them. That's, you know. Hey, look, Bulls, guess what now? Welcome to the big leagues. You got to deal with Furkan Korkmaz, you know? That's what, <laughs> that's our, how it works. Our now. Bulls beat writer, um, Darnell Mayberry, last night tweeted out that they had a Furkan Korkmaz problem. And it's like, buddy, you have got to get these Furkan puns down. You have a Furkan problem. There's no reason to put the last name in there. You're you're going to see him four times a year. Get get used to these puns. They he, are, is, uh, he is correct on that. So, yeah. I, I mean, honestly, like, you had Embiid 30 and 50, and, you know, he had some turnovers. And he almost killed Lonzo Ball with a punch. Um, but he got back to normal, I thought, relatively, like for his offense. Played yeah. great. The second and half, had, I think he, I think five of the six turnovers were in the first half. He he calmed down in the second half. And, and you know, like, we, we'll get that in a sec. You had Shake. I, th- I thought Shake was great. You you mentioned that in your uh, your piece today. I I really thought that was one of the better all-around games we have seen from Shake Milton. And that's, um, that's one thing that's I think is encouraging. We mentioned this before, like shake the, the delta between the good shake games and the bad shake games were astronomical. It would be 35 points one night and then complete liability the next. So far this year, and look, we're only talking, what has what shake played? Six or seven games maybe? Because um, he missed no, the first couple. Six and oh. Okay. Charlie Lebede called him the franchise last uh, okay. night. They're undefeated okay. Okay. with him. Um. So, but he's been a consistent contributor pretty much every night. He hasn't been exceptional in terms of individual one-on-one scoring, uh, but there's been just a consistency that he doesn't frequently play with, and certainly that he hasn't played with uh, since Doc has been here. So that's good to see too. Look at this line: thirteen points. Okay, four of ten shooting wasn't great, but took five free throws. Nice work there. Uh, seven boards. 
six assists, yep. no turnovers, yep. two steals, and a block. That is not a typical Shake Milton line of years past. And I think obviously he's talked a lot about he wants his defense to get better. There, look, there are foot speed limitations he's going to deal with for his sure. entire career. The one thing he does have going for him, his long, his arms are so long, where if he's like locked into a scouting report, if he is, you know, understanding where you know the big man is on pick and rolls, he can use those arms yep. to get deflections, to block shots every once in a while. And I thought he did a really good job of that last night. Like he guarded Levine, and some of Levine missing is just. He's the smoothest guy in the league. It's almost like who's guarding him doesn't even matter unless it's Matisse. Another good reason for for it being a win. Um, but like Levine didn't get any easy stuff. You know, it was yeah. a lot of tough step back jumpers. And hey, like some nights he's just going to make those. And, and there's you nothing shake you his can hand. do because he can rise not only over you, he can rise three feet over you and you're not contesting that shot. Yeah. But yeah, gr- great performance by, by Shake, I thought. Also, too, like underrated, Maxi played 44 minutes, eight eight assists, one turnover. Yep. And he has to play the whole game because his legs are the youngest and the fastest. And that's, uh, I don't know what to say. Like, there's nobody who, like Niang and Drummond weren't great, I would say, in this game. Who cares? They were great the night before and yep. most of the season. But Andre Drummond was leading the team in, in net rating before this game. It's it's okay. Like, he... He can have, he's entitled to have a bad game where Joel Embiid is the one who's the plus 16 carrying the team. Like that's, it's, they got a lot of stuff working right, right now. And you, you made the point after the, the last game where it's like, yeah, for the champ, like, is this team a championship level team right now? Well, number one, it doesn't matter because we're in October. So like, who cares? But no, we're, we're they're in not. November now, Rich. Ah, it's been a long week. So, you know. <laughs> We but are your point still stands. Fair enough. Fair enough. So that doesn't matter. But the answer is no. But they are winning these games from something we've talked about for a long time. Like they've drafted really well in the late first round and in the second round in recent years. They've made some good free like Niang is a really good free agent signing. You know who else looks like a really good free agent signing? Niang for three million looks good. Furkan Korkmaz for yeah. three years, fifty million dollars. Certainly doesn't look like a waste of cap space there yep. by any means. Um, Drummond at the minimum is a good signing. And then, I mean, the Curry for Richardson trade is just it's as good as it gets. And that's part of like when we start talking about, and I, I hate to do this because I promised I wasn't going to do it. But when we do start talking about building that team that will actually contend for a title, because I agree with you, I don't, as good as they are, top seed in the East, yada, 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 eight and two. Um, I still think they're missing a piece to truly contend. But when you start trying to put together packages to get that piece, well, Tyrese taking a step, um, Furkan taking a step, Shake taking a step, Seth being way more valuable than what you traded for him. That's all going to be very, very, very important. And I know that we all want to be like, these are our guys. They'll always be our guys. That's not how this league works. Um, It is a constant player movement league. Daryl Morey is not a GM who's going to keep the (laughs) fourth through 10th of his roster locked in every year. Looking at it from a practicality standpoint, all of these players trending upwards in value is very, very good. Very good. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus... Up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. 
Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager yeah and uh I mean, num- number one offense in the league. Are they still there after yeah. last night's game? At least they are, according to basketball reference. I don't have cleaning the glass up. And, and you mentioned it. I think uh, I think Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue, they mentioned that the Sixers are number one in pull-up effective field goal percentage by a lot, which is impressive because they're not even shooting a ton of threes on that. That is, I mean, that's just Seth Curry. Yeah. <laughs> that's just Seth Curry shooting a billion percent from two for the most part. But you also have... I, I mean, I just think it's remarkable that they're playing this well offensively and they have not gotten Embiid to get the touch correct. And you saw like last night, that seems to be at least within him, right? Yeah, and he, I do think he's doing a pretty good job to steal a Brett phrase of quarterbacking the gym. Like, I think he's running the offense pretty well. I think he's doing a pretty good job of, uh, you know, just being cognizant of where the help's coming from. Uh, I think all of the Joel Embiid passing progression is... Um, incremental. I don't think he's taking a massive step, but I think he's doing a better job of not putting himself in compromised positions. Uh, and, and I think that's helped the offense for sure. But he does have to start making those mid-range jumpers. I think he's moving the last three or so games. I think one of the main takeaways, is I think he's just moving better physically. And I think yeah. that's going to result in more nights like last night against Chicago and fewer nights like we were seeing earlier in the season. But yeah, I think in order to sustain this, this success, they need more from him individually. Yeah, but but honestly, too, I think when you look at all the bullshit they're dealing with right now, whether that's the Simmons, that's mainly the Simmons stuff, but also the the COVID and the injuries, uh, him embracing that role and like it, it doesn't see it doesn't seem like he cares that much that he is not playing that well at the end of the game because they're winning. Like I, I say, the Detroit game, for example, he did not shoot well in that game, but. At the end of, you know, at the end of the fourth quarter, Matisse Thybul got a steal and a dunk to put that game away, and you see Joel running the floor and skipping up and down the floor like a little kid. Like I think that shit matters. I, I really do, and I think that is another part, along with all of these fringe players, really improving and, and making the whole greater than the sum of the parts here. Um, it, it just goes to show that. They probably have enough to make it through the regular season as long as this Simmons stuff drags on and still be a pretty damn good team. Will yeah. they be the number one seed? I don't know. But by the way, I would have said definitely not uh, a little while ago. You can't rule that out now because they just, I don't know, this this idea of Embiid with space, 
Obviously, they have the number one offense already without Embiid playing well. Embiid said it after the game last night. He was like, you know, I do think about this a lot. Like, we're winning these games. It's going to be great to have Matisse, Tobias back. That's going to be really cool. And I'm also thinking, well, what happens when I start shooting like last year? And maybe he won't shoot exactly like last year, but he's going to shoot better than he did at the start of this season. And that's just, that's really exciting. (laughs) It's, It's a really exciting idea. And and for him to embrace being a point center in his terms and to just be the same old defender and shot blocker and all that stuff, it's awesome. I, I think his defense has been phenomenal. Like as yeah. good as it's probably ever been. Um and I he was, think we he feel- was a little lucky last night. Vooch can't make a shot, yeah. but that's that's okay. Like his defense has been great. Sorry. Well, c- considering what he did a couple nights before then, uh with with the block, we'll we'll give him a pass on, on on. But you're right, the um pick and pop, uh stretch fives, which quite honestly, the number of stretch fives aren't nearly as many as we'd like to make them out to be. Uh, a lot of them you can leave on the perimeter. Vooch, typically in years past, was not one, but um his I mean his defense has been incredible. There, there was a play I forget who got beat, but but Embiid was basically at the foul line last night worried a little bit about Vooch, just like you're worried about your cat right now, worried about Vooch from the three-point line. And somebody, I think it was B-Ball Paul, DeRozan got by him. Or not DeRozan, uh, sorry, Levine got by him. And Levine goes all the way to the hoop. I just thought, like, Embiid, incredible rotation from the free-throw line to, you know, use verticality and, and stop Levine at the rim. And that was the type of play where you mentioned, like, he's been moving better the last couple of nights. I was like, that that's pretty good. That that looked smooth. That looked fluid. That was that was cool to see. And then, um, you know, then he has the great offensive. Get, you know, he had that barrage in the second quarter where he just, I don't know, they kept getting a couple of stops, whether that was Joe, whether that was the Bulls just missing shots. And the Sixers started to play, the Sixers, who are the slowest team in the league, which is fine when you're the number one offense in the league. I'm not going to uh, complain about how it's done. Slowest team in the league. They actually started to get into some of their transition stuff. They started to get into some of their double drag screens for Maxi, which by the way, that looks really good as yep. well too. Like if they can get stops, Maxi in transition, they're starting to spring these in transition in a way like I would kind of associate that with the Boston Celtics, the way they would do that with Kemba Walker. They would do it with Tatum a little couple times. Maxi playing well is is a big deal. And and Bede throughout that stretch, whether he was setting screens, whether he was getting post position, or whether he was just making trail threes, which is kind of a, a thing that has not happened quite as much this year. Uh, just a very explosive stretch, and then uh, and then he wraps it up with the. It's a classic Embiid shot to wrap it up too. You know the Sixers are are wasting time. They're up like four or five, so that's one possession where it's a little bit forgivable not to run some great offense and let Embiid do his freelance shit. Takes a step back three, drills it. We saw that like forty times last year. Yep. And then uh, and then he runs right towards where I was sitting, and he he was trolling the crowd pretty pretty good there. So, um, I, again, it, it was a great performance. Also, B-Ball Paul guarding well, DeMar just, DeRozan. Yeah, I was going to say, like, B-Ball Paul stepping into that starting lineup. Uh, obviously, they played these, the, these two teams played each other a little while back. Um, Furkan and Shake starting on the wing was a little tougher. Uh, what did you think of B-Ball Paul and the job that he did? I mean, he has no business guarding DeMar DeRozan, and, and you saw that in a lot of ways. Like, B-Ball Paul, the, the, his hips are not very fluid when it comes to, like, shuffling on defense so here's here's where that shows up if you set a ball screen on him the Sixers have to switch that because he's not getting through on that 
Uh, and they did it a couple of times, but it was funny. They, they kept doing it with Vooch. And so, okay, it was like Embiid will guard DeRozan where he's he's fine. Like DeRozan will make the shot or he won't, but it's not like Embiid is in some terrible spot. And then B-Ball Paul will get uh, a Vooch. You know, he made his mistakes. He definitely made some offensive spacing mistakes. He actually, I, you saw this play out during the game and he mentioned it afterwards. Whenever they ran a set play, Embiid pretty much every time had to point him. No, no, you go there. Like you're in the corner. Him or Milton would be like, you got to go there. Well, that happened uh, once with Drummond too. When I guess nobody pointed out because Paul cut right into Drummond. Yeah, and that was the other part of it. He's you know he's playing the four, so he's trying to make these cuts to the basket. But a couple of those happened when Maxi and Drummond were running pick and roll inside the arc. Dude, I mean, you can't cut in those yeah. those cases. But here's the thing about B-Ball Paul, and uh, Doc also mentioned this after the game last night. Like, he just plays his ass off. So mm-hmm. if there is a loose ball, he's going to get it. And, and he ends up with 10 points, five rebounds that were literally just all hustle. Like, literally put back dunks, making himself available. And you know what? He He's not going to be a – you could see why Doc does not necessarily play him all the time in uh, – in the rotation, I still think five is potentially his best position yeah. just because all of his weirdness, there's more space to do that type of stuff. How about the movie put on uh, Jeremy Grant the other night by accident? It, yeah. was, it was the slip and slide yep. from NBA yeah. Street. Yep. Now, now, did he mean to do it? No, no, no. No, Doesn't he didn't. Matter. But here's the best part. So he throws the ball to Drummond on that play, and Drummond, who's just not making a layup right now, uh, blows the layup. You, you would think he would just have stayed on the ground. And just been like, all right, Drum's going to finish this because it's a very easy shot. He got up right away and he gets a put back dunk. And that's kind of the, the B-ball Paul story. It's just, it's not pretty. It's not, uh, there's going to be some awkward moments when it comes to the spacing. But again, like that's a guy who, I, I don't know, he was like a minus 16 or something last night. He was better. He really was. Like he really contributed enough to uh, to help the Sixers win the game. And he, he's another guy who was put in a brutal spot and did fine. So, yeah. yeah, and that, that's really it. Like, there could could we nitpick the ever-living shit out of his game last night? Yeah, probably. Like, from the defensive glass to getting back in transition to some of the spacing issues, he is not yet at the point where he is making all of the right decisions that he needs to make. Uh, and I think, in a weird way, because there's a lot of pressure put on a five in the modern NBA defensively, but in a weird way, I almost think some of those become even worse at the four for him because so much of his in- instincts are based around uh, being the big man and, 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 and crashing the glass and like you said, cutting. And it's a little hard to do that when you've got a traditional big in the middle there. Uh, but for him to get, first of all, to not be completely embarrassed in a really tough assignment uh, defensively. And then also just get all like every hustle play that's out there, he is going to get. And that is for as much as, as again, we could nitpick some of the decision-making and I'm sure at times this year we will. <laughs> When you're making the hustle plays as consistently as he does, it's a lot easier to turn the other cheek. He he played DeRozan okay defensively in one-on-one situations too. And the, the good news about that was, you know, the, the reason Doc put him on DeRozan was, okay, in pick and roll, it might be a little bit of trouble. But one-on-one, Paul's got decent size, decent leaping ability. He got beat on the, uh, the pump fake once. And uh, he was pretty bummed about that after the game. But Doc was like, Look, man, we told him, like, you're the 8,000th guy who's bitten on that pump fake. Just try not to do it again. But, you know, it's not like uh, good players haven't 
fallen victim to Demar on those sure. before. And and you know what? Demar did not shoot quite as well as he did in uh, in Wednesday night's game. It's it's a win. It's it's a win on top of a win on top of a win. It's uh it's crazy. Uh, let me let me ask you this. Uh, like let's Demar's say down night by the way, seven for 15, 25 points. I mean, it just shows you what kind of year he is having so far. He's uh he's very good. Yeah. And also, you know, the Bulls as a team just didn't really shoot it that well. I, I thought the Sixers' defense was good. I thought, you know, some of those shots the Bulls could have made from from beyond the arc. It's okay. And the other thing you noticed in the second half, I thought too, was the Sixers were completely gassed. Yep. When you're playing with eight guys, they were just giving up way too many delayed transition buckets, just flat out transition buckets. And I, you know. On the one hand, I was like, ah, that's too much. And also I was thinking like, well, there's probably a reason why they're doing it. Oh, yeah. They're just, they're very tired. And and I mean, it, then to have that response where, what, Chicago had like a 10 to 1 run there uh, midway through the, the fourth. It didn't really feel like some of the other big runs the Sixers have given up because it felt like the Sixers were getting pretty good looks at the basket that just weren't going in. Yeah. And then the Sixers responded by scoring like 18 points over the final five minutes and change uh, and putting the game away. And look, some of that was that, I think they shot like four for four from three. And when shots go in, it becomes a lot easier. Uh, but like you said, they had no legs. There's a understandable reason why they had no legs. They had just given up a big run uh, to briefly lose a lead. That felt like a game in prior years. They had a real chance of losing uh, and they responded. Well, ran good offense, got good shots, made their shots uh, and came out with the, uh, with the win. I, I, I really thought that game was going to turn there in the middle of the fourth quarter. And, you know, we started the season, what was it? Two of the first five games with some of the worst late game execution you can see. So to have the Sixers over this stretch really execute the hell out of this, you know, this week uh, you they, they're Kurt- still having those those runs still exist. Both the wins against uh, Chicago, I think Chicago had a seventeen to three run in the fourth, and then they had a ten to one run there in the fourth. There, but they're responding now at least and able to recover from that. Yeah, and they're responding. I don't know. Pretty pretty strong. I I guess I should look that up. What their what their late game execution is like. But you know, it started this week started with against Portland when they had nobody available, literally nobody except Seth Curry available, where he's just you know he's running pick and roll and destroying people at the end of games. And then you have last night where I, I believe Niang did not have a good shooting night, and I believe it was a Maxi Embiid pick and roll at the end of the game. Ball gets swung to Niang, and it's you know. Here's how you knew they were running good offense because Niang, not only has he not had a good game, but he gets that ball on a pop and uh, he has Curry wide open in the corner too, but he's feeling confident enough like, hey, like I got a straight on three here. I'm going to let yep. this one fly. Yep. And uh, he knocks it down. He Yeah, he did not have a good game, but he is having a really nice impact on this team. Yeah. Like even, I think I mean, uh, even after the, that, what he shot, I think two for six from three against the bulls. But even, even after that, I mean, right now he is shooting 41% from three on over six attempts per game. And he just looks like a winning player. I know that sounds cliche. He just does the right things. I mean, what what have you thought of his defense? I, I honestly thought he would be a little bit slow footed. He, I mean, he, he owned Jeremy Grant in the second half of that game the other night. I mean, just one-on-one against Jeremy Grant, Jeremy Grant, not scoring on him. Yeah. I mean, look, we, uh, he is still slow-footed, but he, he I think he mitigates. We said this either last podcast or two podcasts ago. He makes the most of his defensive profile. 
And you could take that negatively and that his defensive profile is really poor, which it is. <laughs> but I think, you know, so much of, of making up for that is angles. I think he plays the angles well. I think he anticipates pretty well. And I think he gives effort. And when you do those three things, you can overcome to some degree. Do I worry about the playoffs? Well, yeah. I worry about him holding up in the playoffs. Really what I worry about, though, isn't so much just him. Because I think you can get away with a Seth or with a George or with a Furkan or with Tyrese. It's the fact that you have four of them in your regular You said you weren't going to do this. What is going on right now? You're right. But my point is, I don't think it's so much that I worry about George's defense being unplayable. It's that I worry about the accumulation. Fair enough. He uh, To say he's competitive is it's probably, a, it's a bit of an understatement. Like he, yeah. uh, he had a guy, by the way, did you, did I tell you where my seats were for the Detroit game? So the Sixers are not traveling their radio. Is that your first time in Detroit too? I don't think I've ever been in Detroit. I've been to Detroit. Unbelievable uh, press section. Shout out to, uh, or uh, sorry, uh, not press section, a media meal. The best in the league by a mile. It's like a gourmet dish. And it was, it was explained to me by our Pistons writer, James Edwards, that this free meal is, is one of the things that their owner, Tom Gores, he said, I, I want the media to eat good and I want them to eat for free. So shout out to Tom Gores for that because it's an excellent meal. They have beer after the game too. It's just, oh, it's amazing. So, but because the Sixers are not traveling their TV or radio teams right now, the Pistons PR staff was nice enough. Usually we have to sit in kind of the corner. Not a horrible seat, but not great either. Uh, we sat at the scorer's table because the, the, the Sixers, they, they decided the Sixers traveling beat, you can take the seats of the, the radio and the TV booth. So anyway, I was watching George Niang the entire game. He was getting heckled by this guy in the front row the entire game. Oh, you're not athletic. You know, you're... You don't look like an NBA player, all that stuff. Probably fair, honestly. Like, I think George would like, probably agree with that, yeah. Doesn't look like an NBA player. Okay. But after the second half run where he makes all these threes, he ties up Jeremy Grant. And by the way, I don't know what happened if he just timed up the jump. Exactly. He ties up Jeremy Grant and wins the jump ball against him. And the Sixers call timeout afterwards. You know, they're up like 20 points. And he, he starts yelling at that fan. I know you saw that. I know you saw that. Uh... <laughs> So he just he's a pretty enjoyable guy, honestly. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm just giving different anecdotes from the uh, from the trip, but they were all good. You know, they were all they were all positive. It's uh, when we don't know if it'll last, but you know. Oh, oh we're, think, we're not doing that this podcast. We're not doing that this podcast. No, we're not. No. Did we make it? The uh, how, how long are we on this pod? Thirty-seven minutes yep. without mentioning a mentioning a certain someone. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Yeah, Updates the... have been minimal. Only thing that matters right now, only thing that's really changed is whether he's getting paid or not. So it doesn't concern me. Concerns the NBA with precedent. Concerns the team with the money. Concerns, I mean, the, the team with the precedent. Uh, concerns better with the money. I don't really care about any of that. So we will see where they go from here. Um, I, I, Yeah, we'll see. One point on him that doesn't have to do with the... Uh the back and forth he's having with the front office right now is it starting to get a little awkward for him why because they're eight and two because they're eight and two in like the funnest way possible they're eight and two with the best offense in the league 
and all of these guys who we thought needed his drive and kick game to get them unlocked are just saying, "Ah, we're good. We got this off the bounce. We'll we'll be fine." Well, and it's so interesting how they're getting there because they're still not a high or high uh, usage three point shooting team. Like I said, they're still somewhere right around twentieth, but they're not getting them in transition like they used to. But they're getting them in the half court because they're so centered around Embiid. Yeah, and look, I think if you're going to look in two places where they're actually missing him, it's defense sure. um, and rebounding, because right now they are atrocious. They're the so class. bad. <laughs> they're so bad. And it really is something where, like, if they weren't shooting a million percent from three, we'd probably be talking about this a lot. But but they're so small. They're I mean, so what small. Are you do? Like, like we said, those guards outside of maybe Shake, Shake could maybe hit the glass a little stronger. And he, he, I thought he did last night, and he does at times. But everyone else is an atrocious rebounding. From Seth to Tyrese to even Matisse, they don't have any real good perimeter rebounders. Um, I think that's where they're missing him a lot. But yeah, this is a little bit awkward for sure. And like the farther, like it was one thing when we were four games in, ah, easiest schedule in the league, blah, 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 blah. Well, they're eight, like what, 10% of the way through the season? Or no, um, 8% of the way through the season at this point. Yep. That's how that works. Not eight, twelve and a half percent, one eighth of the I, way through the season. I I know your mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Um, so they're you're starting to get into a decent sample size, not one where there's no noise, but a decent sample size. And uh, look, I think if you're looking, we're getting into um, talking about Ben now, and we're not going to. But I think if you're looking at it from Daryl's perspective, and he's saying like, well, I'm not going to cave now. Like if I was going to cave, it was because. You're, you were being a distraction and we weren't able to play through it. Well, that's clearly not the case. They look like they're as connected as they've ever been or because they were losing games and they need an infusion of talent to fight for a playoff seating while well, they're eight and two and top the East. So there's no reason for Daryl to cave. There's no reason for him to take less than what he would have otherwise taken. We're getting closer now. We're only you know, a little over a month away from the middle of December anyway. I think we're going to see this drag on for quite a while now. I might even take it further than that. He might be saying, well, this might be the reason we're winning these games because these guys are all fired up because they, you know, people might have doubted them because Ben isn't here. Or maybe they just realize, hey, we're going to have bigger roles and we can show what we can do. I don't know. I think that is definitely a part of their motivation here. Whether or not they don't like, whether they like Ben Simmons, whether they don't like Ben Simmons. To say that that's not a motivating factor, I think, would be unfair. I I mean, I, I don't think that's. You would be willfully looking past the obvious there. And, uh, you know, when you see it in the locker room video afterwards with Doc getting doused with uh, with water and you just like listen to Embiid, he will say it when whenever you ask him. This team is much closer than past years. Ferk said it last night. Ferk was like, look, I, I've been here four years. Like, I know, you know, what is a he said, I, I know what's a close team and what's less of a close team. Basically he didn't exactly say it, but he, he, he was along those lines. Um, I am working on pretty little sleep right now. Uh, but yeah, I just think they're, everything is going great for them right now. T- tough schedule ahead, you know, playing the Knicks and the, maybe the bucks aren't tough at this point. You know, the bucks, they're like the anti Sixers. They, they have all of these injuries and a lot of people are saying, well, that's why they suck, and that's why they're not playing well. And that's, you know what, fair enough. But credit to the Sixers for being the opposite of that, where they have all these injuries, and oh yeah, they're uh, they're leading the Eastern Conference right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, some legitimately surprising results. 
you've got the Bucks under 500. You've got the Celtics, who already had a players-only meeting. You've got the Hawks, who apparently are too good for the regular season now. When they, you know, they make the playoffs <laughs> one time, and all of a sudden, oh, this whole thing's boring. Trey Young is bored. He's bored. He might be. He might be bored in in April if he keeps he this made up. Made the playoffs once. Anyway, and I mean the Nets have been looking a little bit better here the last couple of games, but they weren't yeah. exactly setting things on fire to start. I still think the East is much stronger. You know, one through twelve. Then maybe not one through twelve, but three through twelve. I think the East is stronger than it has been in quite some time, and I still think that Milwaukee and um, Brooklyn and quite frankly Miami are going to be real tough at the top. So the Sixers have to bank these wins. I think this is very important that they're able to get these in here. Uh, I still would be a little surprised if they ended up with a top two seed, even with their good start. But it's very important to get these wins because I think fighting for playoff seeding is going to be a concern. You're playing all these games shorthanded. You know you don't have your final roster uh, on the court right now, but they're finding a way, and good teams find a way. I'm telling you, though, they keep this up. I think it would only be natural for a team like Atlanta, a team like Boston, to look at them and just be like, what the hell? How are they doing this? Oh, yeah, especially Boston. Boston doesn't seem like they have any Which, of their by the way, right now. That's like the way I've been feeling this whole podcast, but I would say it in a more positive manner what the hell how are they doing this this is amazing yeah yeah that's yep. basically what i feel right now so <sighs> any other stray thoughts here before we uh, let you go mm, trying to think on the the rest of the team yeah i mean i, I just think like a, another sign of of how connected they are ferk said it after the game when he was talking about his pick and rolls he was like look you know who deserves a lot of credit on that andre drummond because he rolls really hard every time to the rim and People are afraid of uh, me throwing the lob to him. And I think that just goes to show like in a game where seven of the eight players were in double figures and it was this big team win. Drummond was the guy who really didn't have the big stat line. You got the cork man crediting him after the game. You know, they just they seem to really understand their roles and really be on board with like, hey, like. One night it's going to be Ferk's night, another night it might be Shake's night, Maxie might have a huge game. Hopefully MB just continues to have all of these big games, but it's look, this is, um, it, it's very unexpected. I, I think we thought a lot more drama to, uh, to start the season and Hey, you know, maybe in a couple pods, we're talking about that, but, uh, it's, it's been a really pleasant surprise. They're just a lot of fun to watch play. Yeah. And look, they'll hit a spot where shots aren't going in. They start losing. We'll have to see how they react to that. We'll have to see how they start reacting. Cause as, as good as these last five or so games have been, they haven't played very many true contenders. We'll see how, uh, you know, whether or not the talent deficit starts coming into play when you start talking about the upper echelon of the league. But so far, for what they've had to work with and what they've played, they have exceeded all expectations. For sure. All right, that's all I got. All right, sounds good. Thank you for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.